Hey, Chris. Hey, John. How's it going? Fine, fine. How are you? Not bad, not bad. What did you think of uh, this week's episode of Better Call Saul? As usual, I enjoyed it. Uh, it had some uh, uh, exciting stuff in there. Say no more. That's all we need. Okay. So we're done? Yeah. Hot talk. Hot talk. Shortest one we've done yet. I think that was probably our best one yet. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Saul Searching. Uh, This week, we're going to be discussing episode six of season two of Better Call Saul. This episode was called Bali High. Now, were you familiar, Chris, with the musical South Pacific or the song Bali High before hearing this uh, rendition on this episode by Jimmy? Or is that something that maybe like me, you did a little digging around uh, to record this podcast, but that prior to this, you, you had no idea? That was foreign to me. I'm not a show tune person. I looked up the lyrics, and particularly the verse that Jimmy seems to be singing to Kim uh, was very corny and very old-fashioned, but, you know, the song is about, uh, like, an unattainable vista or an island on the horizon that is the subject of myth and, and lore, but that you may never attain, you know? Maybe that unattainable island on the horizon is that dream job or that career or that comfort in your own skin that seems to be eluding uh, specifically Jimmy and Kim. I figured he must have been being silly and making it up somewhat when he said, my head sticking out of a cloud or something. Was that, is that actually in the lyrics? The lyrics that he was quoting were, um, Someday you'll see me floating in the sunshine, my head sticking out from a low-flying cloud. You'll hear me call you, singing through the sunshine, sweet and clear as can be. Come to me, here am I, come to me. If you try, you'll find me where the sky meets the sea. Here am I, your special island. Come to me, come to me, Bali High, etc. <clears throat> I just couldn't believe that my head sticking out from a low-flying cloud was actually uh, from the real musical. That's so silly. It was unclear to me whether we were to believe that Jimmy was singing this song to Kim because they had some mutual affection for old musicals, or if it was just a device Jimmy was using in order to leave a message with Kim every morning, because that's clearly what we see happening in that scene, is that Kim's getting ready to leave her her uh, her apartment for the day, and she's kind of waiting around because she's expecting something, and it wasn't really clear why she was waiting, but now you see that probably Jimmy's called her at least every day for a week, if not longer, getting to uh, be a fly on the wall in Kim's apartment. We see that that she is kind of charmed by it. Yeah, well, she's not answering his calls, but he's hanging in there with his messages. Right, but his his messages seem devised not necessarily to catch her, but so but like like the way I like the way he ended with if you want to make any requests, meaning she could call back and say stop calling me. She could call back and say, "Oh Jimmy, let's get together," or she could just answer the phone <laughs> if she wants this right. to stop. So it's a little bit of a dare. I guess you could say it's a little bit um on the stalkery side, but I guess we know enough about their relationship and the kind of character dynamics that it still plays to me as, as humorous and charming and not something he should be ashamed of, you know. Right. Well, this episode, I want to mention this before we get too far into it, was written by Jennifer Hutchison, who was uh, one of the writers who's been pretty productive on A Better Call Saul. She also wrote from this season, Cobbler. Uh, if you remember, the, the mm-hmm. squat cobbler stuff was really a highlight of yeah. the season so far, I think. Uh, and also was directed by Michael Slovis, whose name you may have recognized from seeing it virtually every week on Breaking Bad as the director of photography for the first three or four seasons. Oh. 
I just think that's really noteworthy when the guy who's directing is the guy who defined that visual style mm-hmm. on Breaking Bad, which this show isn't exactly in that style, but they both share a sort of lush beauty or just cinematic quality. Yeah. That's cool. So the episode starts with a little bit of Jimmy before we get to Kim's apartment, and we're seeing that Jimmy really is not comfortable in his surroundings. Uh, I, 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 it seems to me that when we see Kim, there's sort of a, a a blankness where Jimmy should be, and when we see Jimmy, there's kind of a blankness where Kim should be. And I think that we're seeing that... It's like that part in the romantic comedy where the two people are apart, and you're seeing how their lives are a little bit less without each other around. Yeah. Jimmy is so restless in his in his new apartment, and we know it's supposed to be kind of a nice place, but we also know it's supposed to be kind of a corporate, you know, fully furnished place that you wouldn't really feel like was your place. Yeah, I thought that was well done with the the balls that he already mentioned, what's with the bowl of balls, and... Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and the wicker uh, balls, yeah. Yeah, and then he's just got uh, insomnia, and he's not comfortable in this place, and then, of course, he moves from these fancy digs to his crummy little room in the back of the nail salon and, uh, you know, a little 10 by 10 room with a fold out couch that looks like it's got grimy sheets on it or something. And that's where he's comfortable. Now he feels just fine. So is this like, you know, is that just who he is? Like he knows I'm, I'm more of a, a skeevy rat who should live in a hole and I, I don't feel good in a, in a, a nicely furnished uh, apartment or condo or whatever it is, but I feel I feel just fine in this in this little little hole. For him, that felt more honest, I guess. Yeah, I guess because we see him bristling against it the whole episode. You know, this is this was an episode that really dealt head on. Most of Jimmy's scenes were just about his not fitting in. We've seen Jimmy as being in this in this between state, and now he seems really painfully aware that he's in this between state, you know, that he's not quite living the potential of his current existence, but he hasn't really said goodbye to the trappings of his past. Right, and also I, I think it it kind of goes along with uh like we were just saying he's he's maybe more comfortable in the nail salon. Maybe that goes back to last episode when he was talking to uh, Bill, the prosecutor, who was saying, man, you've got that nice place to live and you got the great car, you lucky bastard, and Jimmy's just standing there. And, uh, you know, I was talking about that and saying, but what's he thinking? I'm not really sure I follow, but this makes it seem like it It kind of it helps to underline that. He, 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 he really is thinking, yeah, but I don't like this stuff that much. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, uh, you know, if he was into it, he would have been high fiving the guy. But he's right. He was he was just standing there because he n- ha- was noticing about himself. I don't love that apartment. I do think it's worth mentioning that at the firm that Jimmy is still kind of under Aaron's watch and that she's really not giving him even physical space to, right. to breathe. You know? yeah. And I, I still take her as kind of a comic character. Do you think we're supposed to see her as like a despicable foil or do you see her as almost like an innocent and in, in enthusiastic person? I think the style of the show is to create characters who are um, silly, despicable foils or comic characters uh, who are just flat and funny uh, until they're not. You know, so she'll be going along and uh, she really was just being awful, like writing down everything he read out and then also reading it for herself, you know, to make sure that he didn't say the wrong number. And so she should have just been reading it and writing it down instead of making him 
read it. It was just terrible. But anyway, so she'll be going along doing this kind of thing uh, until we finally have a scene that humanizes her because she gets involved in something more important or, or something happens to her or whatever. Yeah, something that humanizes her or something that confirms that she is like a stooge who's who actively hates Jimmy or something. Like at this right. point, I see her as just that's her demeanor. Right. And I take her as, like I said, like kind of a funny character. But I've just been noticing other reactions to the character from, you know, uh, some of the other coverage of the show. And it seems like a lot of people like they, they hate her. And I, I still I kind of like her. I kind of feel like, oh, yeah. she's part of sort of she's sort of part of Team Jimmy. Like if this show were the show about Jimmy being this attorney who tackles these cases, I can see how Omar and Aaron would be like his protégés of a sort that follow him around and kind of get caught up in things with them. And that's right. another alternate show that we probably won't get to see, but that would be fun to see. Yeah. Um, so we'll get to a little bit more Jimmy stuff uh, at the end, but I thought it would be a good time to jump over to Kim and particularly a, a scene that that really stood out to me as like almost chilling was the scene where Kim and Howard go from her office to the boardroom to meet with uh, Paige and Kevin from Mesa Verde Bank. Yeah. Who obviously, she's been brought up from the cornfields. We can infer that Chuck has said something to Howard. Um, if we guess that's what happened, we can guess Howard wouldn't be too happy about that. But what I really took from this scene, and I want to talk about their walk, but before we get to the walk, I wanted to mention, and maybe you know this feeling, there's something that some employers can do to you, where when you come in and you think you're on the ball and you're doing something like unpacking your stuff in your office, or you're doing something like getting ready, and then they come to you and they say, you're not unpacked yet? (laughs) Or they're waiting for you down in the meeting room, and it's like you went from thinking everything was fine to realizing, oh shit, this person is never not going to see me as like an, an airhead or a dingbat or something, or mm-hmm. they're never going to not see me as not being on top of things, you know, or just that this person's natural tendency is to look around and then assess what needs to be approached. But that feeling of your boss just never letting you catch a break, like you know, yeah. he, he doesn't say good morning, he says you're not unpacked yet, right. And then she can't even say any, it's like at that moment, you're like, oh, uh, oh gosh, got to go, you know? And you can see why what he's saying is you should be set up in your office and ready to go and waiting for the client and all that kind of stuff. So right. it's a, like a subtle way that he kind of chided her, but it really made me think of those those work situations where you just, you've you've only you've only been in, like it's a morning and you're working a day, right? Yeah. And you've only been in work for five minutes and you already feel like an idiot, you know? And then, like, on the, and then on the walk, he was so awful, not talking to her, oh. keeping such a dour face, and then... The little moment close to the end of the walk where he, you see his smile come on, his fake smile snaps onto his face, and then they walk in. Mm-hmm. Well, that I, I put down that that was like almost robotically creepy the way he did that, but I also think of him as a guy who's got his he's serious about this meeting, he wants to do this thing. Did you see any of his demeanor as just I'm not going to gratify Kim with a response because this isn't the right place and time to talk about this? I mean, did you see any of that, or did you just see it as Howard is is a dick to Kim? And I once again wrote down my, my all-caps question, what's Howard's beef? That's like one of the big mysteries of this season for me. But if we are to believe he's just embarrassed by what she, you know, he, he went out on a limb yeah. based on her vouching for Jimmy, and he's mad at her for that. Right. Um, if that's really all that it is, then how do we read his his treatment of her in this moment. Is he like being professional and no nonsense and shark-like about the the meeting? Or is he just freezing her out because in his mind he's like, he doesn't have to treat her with respect. I mean, it's like, it, it's funny how they've, t- they've twisted him right back around to being a foil, mm-hmm. a pretty nasty guy. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know how to read it. I felt like he was just like, I'm just not talking to you right now because he was just that dark. Right. But it was it wasn't it was a funny moment and kind of a chilling moment, wasn't it? When he when he went into the mode, yeah, you know that he shows the clients and that he probably shows like the greater world, right? But that right in that moment, he was really not giving her any humanity. And you know maybe it wasn't the right time to discuss it, but I thought it was interesting that what Kim wanted to bring up was that she did not put anybody up to it. But yeah. I don't even know that we know she knows anything. Like we don't know what changed or what what happened. Right. Um, Chuck was completely absent from this episode. Right, but she's like us. She's inferring, well, Chuck must have, uh, for me to have my job back right now, uh, even though Howard seems still mad at me, it must be Chuck. I like this, the way the scene with Kim and Court unfolded, um, where she's up against uh, Schweikert and Coakley. And you could hear both sides of that argument. I thought they did a good job of making Schweikert and Coakley's side seem a little bit more evil, but still reasonable and viable in the law and Kim's point of view seeming more like warm and fuzzy and appealing mm-hmm. to our side of things. But you could see that it seems like the only reason the judge even had to consider the argument was because Kim made a good case. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those scenes where I really want to know, like I would love to have a lawyer watch the show and say whether whether things that they talk about on the show are accurate. I wouldn't want to ruin the kind of verisimilitude of the show for myself, but I wonder if that really was a compelling argument that Kim gave or if it was just something any lawyer would have thought of because it didn't Mm -hmm. seem like this crazy move, but it seemed to be enough to impress Schweikert that she just tried. Yeah. And so that little conversation, like he's a character who I like the actor and I thought he brought a lot to it, but he quickly became antagonistic last year. And this was interesting seeing him in a little bit more of a charming mode, but... I didn't know quite how to read him. Did you see him as kind of a snake in the grass, or did you see him as maybe on the face of it being what, what he is, you know, depicting himself as being? Uh, he's a mystery, like so many things on this show. I think uh, that's that's the question. That's where we are, is with that question of, hmm, he seems like he's, he's putting forth a great offer, and he's couching it as, I see how they're not respecting you, and I will respect you, so that's super attractive and and you can't really see a good reason for her not to take him up on it but just knowing him sort of as an enemy up to now it does make us feel like oh there's there's could be something nefarious behind this and maybe she's not making the best decision after all the one thing I took from that scene was that last week uh, Kim asked Chuck about her career and had to listen to a monologue about about Jimmy being a terrible person and this week she was taken out for a meeting with Schweikert and he spent most of the time telling a story about his past. Now she seemed a little more like interested or amused or something by Schweikert, whereas last week with Chuck she sort of seemed, you know, almost like she was she was minding her manners because she didn't want to say or do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did think it was interesting that with Schweikert she at some point just said, "All right, let's let's cut the bullshit. What are, what's this lunch about? Why are we talking?" Whereas with Chuck she was she couldn't be so blunt. You know, she had to be more just acquiescent. I thought that was yeah. an interesting, or at least she had to keep her cards closer to her chest. Whereas with Schweikert, where she can actually say, why are we, you know, that's a nice story and all, but why are you telling me this? Or did you think she was enjoying him? Because I was wondering, like, was I just, was I just reading her as annoyed because I remembered last week with Chuck? Uh, I don't think she was uh, particularly enjoying it because she was skeptical of, of what his motives were for taking her to lunch. Uh, but she started to open up as it went along, and as, uh, certainly as he was saying, oh, we can pay off your tuition, no problem. <laughs> um, she had to, you know, start to open her mind. Like, it seems like a pretty good offer. 
Yeah, sound fantastic. This show has a lot of too-good-to-be-true stuff going on, though, so you just wonder what could be the downside. Well, um, maybe he just is trying to steal her away from the competition so that they'll be minus one good lawyer. You're right. Maybe taking her away from Hamlin, Hamlin, and McGill would be a blow to them, more so than something that Schweikert uh, and Coakley really need. Yeah. We definitely see that Kim is considering it. Yeah. And I think that when she's back at work and we see, I guess it's Howard's assistant is what I put down, but I think Julie is what Kim said, comes to her. It's not a face that I remember seeing before, but she may have been in the background or something. But she's basically trying to get Kim to work through lunch. But So I didn't know to what extent we were supposed to think she was really tempted by the offer or not, but in this scene, it was becoming very clear that she's she's really, really thinking about it. Oh, yeah. Howard's continued kind of icing of her is uh, even unlocking uh, the kind of you know, for lack of a better word, the kind of naughty side that she indulged earlier in the season with Jimmy, and it's making her, you know, miss Jimmy a little bit more. And and actually, I love this turn for her because it, it does what I think we've said all along we were kind of hoping for, is for her not to turn into the hectoring um, girlfriend or, or significant other for Jimmy, but to be this other force who you can now see as being his partner in future endeavors, as opposed to someone who has to necessarily fall out of his life, if she continues to have this sort of, you know, this streak that likes being bad a little bit. Right. It's kind of like, uh, as far as uh, lawyers go, it's like Jimmy is 10% on the up and up and 90% a uh, skeevy trickster. Whereas Kim's the other way around. She's 90% on the up and up and 10% uh, skeevy trickster. So... Uh, therefore, she's not going to be totally a foil to him. They can sort of work together sometimes, uh, maybe. Um, I think then is when we actually see Jimmy with Aaron and Omar. We've kind of referred to that scene already, but but we do um, see th- that he gets the call from Kim, and I guess this is the first call he's gotten from Kim after all of his kind of pestering. So he takes it in a second, you know, and runs out and does it. Does anything for Kim again? I find that stuff to be kind of sweet, like that he really right. is trying to be. Uh, this guy that, that you know, he, well, he's not afraid of showing that he values their relationship. I, I'm glad they haven't made Jimmy sort of a pig-headed uh, guy about that, you know, because then it would be harder to watch him screw things up. <laughs> but he actually he actually goes to her. And I was almost, I mean, how surprised were you or yeah. were you surprised when Kim is sort of drunkenly says, hey, I think I got us, what does she say, I've got one on the hook or something? Um like that was sort of surprising to me, you know. Did you did you did you see that as organic and believable, or did that play as a little bit of a twist? I guess it could be both. Yeah, it is both. It's one of those one of those things, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul things, where they keep the characters cryptic enough that when they do something unpredictable, you can believe it. You just say, "Well, yeah, I always thought maybe she did. You know, she liked that before. I could see maybe she would do this out of the blue when she's in a." strange and stressful moment. The key was when she introduced herself as Giselle to the guy who bought her the drink, who turns out to be named Dale. And, um, you know, I, it was interesting how they sketched it in in such shorthand that we see him with another woman being very amorous, who is either his significant other or just some other woman he's been with. And then he comes in and sits down at the bar and he immediately starts flirting and coming on to Kim. You know, you see him being an asshole and then it makes it okay that we're bilking him. Yeah. Right. But I liked the symbolic gesture of getting the check and not cashing it, kind of having it as a little token. I thought that seemed like a really neat thing that really shows where Kim is perched with her morality at this point. Like she's not trying to commit a felony. Right. But she is interested in the kind of the fun and the thrill of it. At the end of the episode, it was interesting to see her 
arguing for Jimmy being Jimmy and saying, when I saw you in the pool that day, I mean, this show does this a lot where like images and things that, that were important, they'll refer to it. They'll tie it in. And it's very important now to remember that she did come and visit him when he was in that moment. And she did sort of advise him to go back in. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was interesting that they've turned it into her almost feeling a little guilty that she's asked Jimmy to change his nature. Like whatever is keeping Kim from cutting him out of her life, I think we saw her sort of explain it in that moment, that she does see him as someone with a lot to offer who maybe just hasn't found his niche yet. And her bringing that up was kind of a... Uh, it was odd and interesting to me, and it kind of seemed like she was feeling guilty. If I leave this job, are you going to be mad at me because I kind of pulled you back into this world and now I'm leaving? Is that the reason she gets into all that? And then he tells her, no, that's okay. You do whatever, and, and uh, what's not to love about... About that. Well, I've heard uh, Ray Seahorn uh, speak about Kim's motivations in a really interesting way because the the writers don't even know where all of this is going yet, so the actors don't either. So they have to kind of stay in this in-between state of, well, this may be like when she was hearing Chuck's story about Jimmy pilfering from the family store, you know, she said she didn't know whether Kim thinks it's true mm-hmm. and she didn't know whether it is true. Right. And so she has to play Kim probably possibly having heard right jimmy talk about his father and now she's justifying what chuck is saying with what jimmy told her and she's finding that maybe chuck's telling a little bit of truth that jimmy didn't tell her but she's also thinking about how jimmy maybe she believes more it's almost like hearing jimmy's brother try to sell him out even more made her more sympathetic to jimmy rather than rather than less like she yeah. still sees herself as the person who came up from the mail room she doesn't think she's in that room with chuck and howard those guys are up above them you know right um, and it was nice. Did you catch this episode? We found out she's been working there for 10 years. And I think she said she spent six of it in the mailroom, mm-hmm. which suggests that maybe she was in school that whole time. Right. So maybe she's only been a lawyer for four years. You know. Then we come to the end of the episode and they go uh, out in the parking lot to leave. And he uses a tire iron to bash up his cup holder so that he can make his uh, uh, number two lawyer gift cup from her fit in his nice car, which... Uh, I thought it was cool because we kind of, you know, said that when the cup never fit, and, and that's been a thing through a few episodes of him struggling with that cup, it's like a symbol for, for, for their relationship not being a good fit, that they, you know, don't really mesh. But now is the moment when he he's going to make it fit, you know, he's which seems like, yeah, he's going to make it work with, with Kim. Well, he's both going to make it work with Kim, and he's going to... He's going to, if something's nice and it, it doesn't quite work the way he wants it to work, he's not afraid to bust up something nice. He's not afraid to take something right. that's, you know, perfect and new and, yep. and, and take a crowbar to it until it does what he wants it to do. Yeah. You know, I guess it's a little silly that he keeps trying the cup holder, but to me that worked in the sense of saying that it's an absent-minded thing that you do when you get in your car. And yeah. Jimmy hasn't yet programmed himself. Like, he's determined to use the mug that Kim gave him, you know. Yeah, but right. it, to me, tells me that every time he's gotten in that car, he's gotten frustrated again, and increasingly so, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a good bit. And it's a good visual motif to bring back and give meaning to, and now we have the, we, they put the closed parenthesis on the cup holder. Now we know right. what where Jimmy's mind is going with regards to re- whether to play with the system or whether to kind of make your own rules. Because yeah. now Kim's not pushing him away from from being slipping Jimmy, really. 
Uh, although she didn't quite say be slipping Jimmy, but she did. She did make a case for why he should have done his own thing. And then he, I thought it was nice. She's arguing almost against her original argument, and then he's turning around and doing that kind of benevolent lying where he doesn't want her to feel bad. And so he talks about the good things about his new job, and he mentions the car being this great thing. You know, the car's all one color, mm-hmm. which is a funny reference to his old car, but it also sets you up for the the fact that the car. You know, we know when he brings up the car that he's annoyed by the car, and we know when he mentions his apartment that he couldn't even sleep there the other night. Right. They seemed like they are willing to bend towards each other, and I thought that was nice because I, I'm I do like their romance being a romance and not just being a yeah a, a one night stand every now and then with a lot of with a lot of dread hovering around it. Right. You want to see them succeed and enjoy their time. Let's spend a little time talking about Mike this episode. He had a pretty clear cut storyline, but it was interesting to see the progression from last week of the threat of of the Salamanca clan kind of being part of his life even further but I thought the way this episode played out it was just very linear and it was very Mike and it was a good example of why we love this character and it was great to kind of see the story just bring him a little closer to those connections that we know are going to fuel his his story in the future yeah what did you think of Mike this week it was cool as usual his 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 normal self and I think uh you know last week I said well he's clearly he's not going to go to war with a Mexican drug cartel as a one-man army, that would be crazy. But no, he he did think that that's what he should do, and he had the clever trick of putting out the the welcome mat. Well, first, when he put out the welcome mat, I thought that was just kind of a, yeah, bring it on signal, um, which I think it sort of was, but mainly it was just to show that his, his carbon paper trick. He has so many... Clever tricks. I don't know if he, you know, read some. Is that in the anarchist cookbook, or where do you, where do you get all this stuff? Well, but what uh, I think is that the the writers must have fun drumming those things up because when I saw him coming out of the car with shopping bags, yeah, I was like, oh, I bet we're gonna figure out what he bought and why he bought it, and it's gonna be some combination of things that is a neat trick. Yeah. And sure enough. And then when he pulls it out, like you see him throw the welcome mat on the table and you see him put down the carbon paper and you see him put down the like a, a, a pack of printer paper. And I was like, I mean, I kind of pieced together what it was pretty quickly this time, unlike other ones where I haven't known what Mike's exact thing mm-hmm. was. I was like, oh, probably some way to tell if some, you know, I could just kind of guess when he put the mat out that he must have put the carbon paper on the bottom. Yeah. But I thought that was a, just a neat little visualization t- that shows him. Okay, it could have been somebody just knocking on the door that walked away, but let's say they didn't walk away. Right. Have your gun out. Be ready for this. You know, yeah. I thought that was a that was an it was a it was cool. It was it it's I guess what I'm saying is if they had a Mike episode that focused on him this much and didn't show us a little trick of the trade, I would be disappointed. <laughs> right, right. That's that's usual for for him to come up with these things. And uh he spent the first portion of the show just thinking, "Oh, they can't scare me. I'm going to scare them." And that kind of worked. He 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 ran them off, but then, of course, they're going to threaten your family, and uh, I loved the intensity of that and his, like, trembling chin when he saw the guy making a motion at Kaylee, you know. Well, that was like something from a spaghetti western, you know? Like, yeah. it was crazy, and it was kind of silly, and it was grand, and it was larger than life, but I liked the way, once I, once, you know, once that scene really came together, I liked the way that the, the cousins, uh, or the twins whatever we want to call them. The, I like the way they popped up as almost like a, like the villain in a slasher film. They showed up and we right. just know, oh, it's those guys. But they showed up in such a nefarious way and Mike is looking at them. I mean, again, that was a little bit you know, heightened, but it, it worked for me in, in the sense right. of exactly what you just said, just the intensity. 
Right. It was very simply done and perfect. And then that, for some reason, it takes up until then for him to know, I can't just fight this. I have to uh, negotiate it. But then he doesn't, you know, back down and negotiate weakly. He he negotiates very strongly uh, and and gets away with it. So good for him. The way that he goes about getting away with it is just to be as direct as possible with the situation, which I thought was kind of cool. And I thought it was nice to see the way that uh, Hector sort of respects this other old guy. I mean, at least that's how I kind of take that. Is here's a guy who comes in here and he even says giant balls. Right. Uh, and then he says to him, one of the few lines that I wrote down from this episode was uh, how you managed to live so long with a mouth like that, you know? Yeah. And it is true that Mike has never varnished what he's saying to somebody. Right. The more we see Mike in the past, the more I think about Mike's future, and I wonder how painful it would be to watch those final Mike episodes on Breaking Bad, where he's sort of run afoul of Walter White. Right. So are we at the critical mass or total saturation of Breaking Bad callbacks, or is it just a natural thing as we get closer to the events of Breaking Bad and the kind of character traits that Mike had on Breaking Bad that we're going to start to see, you know, I mean, the Salamancas are the Salamancas. We... We saw them all on Breaking Bad. We've pretty much seen them all on this show. Is is it too much, or is it just enough, or how are you feeling about seeing even more callbacks? I think it's cool and fun. It works for me. It's not like they're constantly talking about Walter White or something. I guess that is about it for us. If you have any questions or thoughts, please write us at saulsearching at gmail.com. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at saul underscore searching. And that's, I guess I always wish I had something to say after that. It feels like there should be a third thing. You can also perhaps approach us on the street and uh, accost us, but I don't recommend it. <laughs> but that's good. Yeah, that, that rounds it out at least. Now you have three. Hot talk. Hot talk. Hot talk.